Hello and welcome back to the Weak Side Podcast. I'm Connor Rohr alongside Sports Illustrated senior writer Jenny Frentis, and we're going to get into some of your very excellent mailbag questions coming. We're going to talk a little bit about free agency surprises and a Frentis consensus that you do not want to miss. But first, we're going to lead off with the Dak Prescott contract, a four-year, $160 million pact that was signed um, on Monday night. And full disclosure, Jenny and I taped a mailbag episode. We had a wonderful question from one of our users who said, or one of our uh, listeners who said, hey, why hasn't Jerry Jones paid Dak Prescott? And Jenny and I just, uh, we took the Cowboys to the woodshed. We said <laughs> it didn't make any sense. This is ridiculous. We turned in the, the show. Our wonderful producer Shelby started editing it. And then, of course, Dak Prescott signs that record-breaking deal. So uh, kudos to, um, let's see here, Paul. Paul, thank you for your wonderful question. You are the true oracle uh, because you you asked about this out of the blue, uh, randomly, like six hours before the deal was done. So perhaps Paul knows something uh, that we don't know. So be sure to go follow Paul on Twitter. But uh, Jenny, what do you think? I mean, uh, I think this is a great deal for Dak Prescott. Uh, This is, in a lot of ways, you know, he's not making as much per year as Patrick Mahomes, but making slightly more over the first three years of the deal. And mm. he's up again when he's 31 years old. Patrick Mahomes is going to be 65 and retired by the time his Chiefs contract is up. Yeah, I agree. You really like to see when a player, it works out for them. And the despite the frustrations of the past few years, both sides have been negotiating. We thought there might be a deal in 2019. We thought there might be a deal in 2020. He finally gets his deal, and it's worth it. The Cowboys have had to pay for waiting. You and I have both said all along, and in our first recording of this show, before the deal, we said the Cowboys really just should have made this a priority in 2019. It should have been the priority before Ezekiel Elliott. They should have gotten it done. But now Dak Prescott gets this significant price tag, and... Exactly. He has another chance to go on the market in four years, which Patrick Mahomes doesn't. Obviously, they both had different reasons for choosing the deals that they did, but this is a a really big win for Dak. It's a fantastic contract for him. And the Cowboys needed to pay this money. He's a quarterback who can win games for them. They saw last season after he was hurt how vital he is to the team's success. And he got rewarded for it. And evidently they must feel good about his rehab from his injury as well for them to, to make this commitment. Uh, he had a compound fracture of his right ankle in week five last season. Clearly they feel good about the direction he's headed in recovering from that. You know, it was interesting. News. Yeah. There was a um, interesting point made by uh, David Cantor, who's uh, an agent on, on Twitter. Um, and uh, I, I think that the, the one flip side of this, like if you're a cynic, like uh, the two of us tend to be, um, his point was that I wonder what Jerry Jones knows about the upcoming television deals and mm-hmm. what the cap is going to look like three or four or five years down the road that he wanted to get this done all of a sudden. Like there was no urgency. There seemed to be this feeling that they would just franchise tag back again and see how he was playing and all that. And then all of a sudden, and we know that these TV deals are going to be done soon. Uh, all of a sudden this thing gets wrapped up. Now, is this maybe too far down the rabbit hole? Sure. But uh, Jenny, I don't think anything happens in this league without a little bit of long-term selfish financial planning either. 
Yeah, and obviously, if anyone is tapped into how those negotiations are going or what that's going to mean moving forward, Jerry Jones would be at the top of the list among mm-hmm. NFL owners. So I think it is smart to look at to this deal getting done as a reflection of that. And also, you know, we knew the the deadline to tag players was approaching, and so they would have to make a decision if they were going to tag him or could they get a long-term deal done before that. So this was one pressure point, but it also wasn't the only pressure point this offseason. And so the fact that it got done so quickly, like it just came together all of a sudden after two years of stops and starts, I think there is some interpretation to be had there, Connor. I think, though, in general, it's so odd because the Cowboys – have historically done this for a long time. They've been combative, they've been uh, in negotiations, but they always cave and they always end up giving a player the the that league that best deal in the league. I mean, we saw that with Tony Romo. Um, we saw that with Ezekiel Elliott when he was saying Zeke who and I don't know this guy. But this seemed <laughs> right. different to me in that the. I thought that the tenor of these negotiations were far less friendly at the outset. And, you know, the Cowboys definitely used some of their media tributaries to paint Dak as selfish for not taking a contract that was basically the Carson Wentz deal or the Jared Goff deal. Um, That was was on the table for a long time with a little bit more guaranteed money. And there's just it it still boggles my mind that there's a large chunk of of this football loving uh, populace that thinks like oh he should have taken that deal um he i bet he regretted it when he hurt his ankle blah 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 all this stuff and now here he is sitting there quite possibly as the happiest most content quarterback in the league making what he deserves to make i think it's a sign to all quarterbacks never to cave to this because you know uh, if you're good enough your team is going to cave and 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 that was the case here yeah that's a great point connor and that's kind of why I said earlier, like, it's really great to see how it worked out for him because I think players have a lot of power, but it's often difficult to exercise that power. It can come at some cost. It can fracture relationships. I mean, yes, there is an agent who's negotiating with the team, but the agent's giving his client the player updates. And then you also see out in public the things that are being leaked and the things that are being said. It's really hard to not take those things personally or to not have that affect your relationship. It's hard to drive a hard line as a player. And so when you see it work out in the way that it did for Dak and him go through those two years of uncertainty and then getting injured and then still get to the point where he got this fantastic contract. I I think that's great for all players. Um, And so it was just, I think, an encouraging outcome when you can see that kind of negotiating hardline work for players. If I'm Prescott in particular, I'm going to go through and I'm going to favorite all the tweets, and there's one in particular that I'm thinking about, and, and the one that's like, I how could Dak Prescott turn down thirty plus million dollars a year, and he wants forty, and isn't that insane? No, that's what he should have been paid. Like, why was Dak different than you know? I, I wrote about this, I think, a couple months ago, but. Nobody batted an eye when Derek Carr reset the market, when Matt Stafford reset the market. And, you know, it's just what happened with quarterbacks for a long time. This guy made 32, so this guy made 33, so this guy made 34. And, you know, I think we got to the point where Russell Wilson is making 36. Why doesn't 40 make any sense for for Dak Prescott? That made sense all along. That was a totally fair amount of money 
to have leapfrogged the market uh, and, you know, the Patrick Mahomes deal uh, notwithstanding, I I thought that made sense all along. And to me, it's ridiculous that that's the one guy that we picked to say, no, 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 not him. Like he, he can't reset the market. You're right, Connor. And it's a very good question. Why was he treated differently? Why is that the case? And I think there's a lot of people that should really mull on that question. Mm hmm. No, I absolutely agree with that. Um, but that's why we're here, Jenny. We're here to ask the big questions. And uh, again, you're not going to want to miss uh, the Vrentis consensus this week. Since we're retaping this part of it, I already know it's going to be great. Uh, there's no pressure on me to perform. Uh, it's already done. And Jenny brought the goods. It was great. Uh, you want to stick around. I also make some free agency predictions in the Oracle, which again, I'm a true Oracle because I know the predictions that I made at the end of the show already since we already taped it. Mailbag questions and much more. Uh, let's get into it. All right. I have to say, though, before we move on, Connor, you know what? You've been predicting a long term deal between Dak and the Cowboys <laughs> for a long time. OK, there's been a lot of oracles about it. And you know what? You were right. The deal happened. So we can now go back and look at all of those past oracles and put them in the victory column. Shelby, take notes. <laughs> you are too Nice. Oh, my God. There was probably I, I'm going to say that there were six oracles of me saying, no, it's going to get done this week. I'm telling you it's going to get done this week. But uh, we're well, we got to update the win loss tally now. So we're that's all I'm here. saying. Got to update the ledger. All right. Now Feels into good. now into reader mail. Absolutely. All right. What's our uh, our first question? OK, Tom from Brighton, UK asks the Seahawks would have to take on a huge dead cap hit to trade Russell Wilson. In previous years, we would have thought there was no chance they would do this. Has the Rams-Eagles' willingness to take on so much dead cap to move on from their quarterbacks changed the way teams operate moving forward, or are there outliers? That's a great question. I would say what interests me is, like it, it, se- it always seems like there's something that we tell ourselves that a trade is not going to happen because X. And, uh, you know, and then a couple teams beat that door down and then it just becomes something we don't think about anymore. And maybe it used to be first round picks. And after the Rams had operated the way that they do and the Seahawks operated the way that they do, uh, then we stopped really thinking about first round picks like we did before. And maybe dead cap is sort of the same thing. I don't know. I mean, maybe teams uh, can find a way to make it work. Um, maybe, you know, I know that Mike Tannenbaum, uh, the former Jets GM, had brought up the practice of perhaps repaying a certain percentage of your signing bonus, and then the uh, new team gives it to you on the back end to lessen the amount of dead money, which could become a more common practice. All these things might come into play, but it is interesting to think like, you know, maybe this is one of these things that we think about so much right now, but in 10 years, it'll be like, yeah, who cares? They have $50 million in dead cap space, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Connor. Teams have a lot of creativity. They figure out different ways to make the math work as it pertains to the salary cap. And every so often, a a certain approach comes up to team building that changes the standard operating procedure. And so I think that is interesting to consider how teams move forward. I will say, for the, the Rams and the Eagles, they both thought there was no way forward with the current player that this was not the quarterback answer for the franchise that in the Rams case, they felt like golf was lowering their ceiling. 
for Wentz, it felt like he just needed a fresh start and couldn't succeed in that locker room in Philly with that organization. Things were very broken there. Wilson's a different case. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's an elite talent. You know you can win a Super Bowl with him. Uh, But clearly, he and the organization are on different pages with some things. But it would be more difficult to take that kind of cap hit to move on from a Russell Wilson than, say, a Jared Goff, at least in terms of how the teams and people around the league value both players, right? If you think that we have to make this move in order for us to win a Super Bowl, then you're willing to eat a little bit more of the cap hit. But I think in, in the Wilson case, it's like, well, can't we figure out a way to work through our differences Can't we come to some solution that will make us both happy? Wilson is our best chance moving forward to win another Super Bowl, so let's try to make it work. I feel like it's a slightly different situation, Connor. Doesn't the Wilson thing in general just feel like the it's developing into the biggest nothing burger of all time? And it's just like uh, like it may be hit at the perfect time, perhaps by design from Russell Wilson's camp to get uh, you know some of his uh, thoughts out there. But it just like every time uh, this trade comes up, and I think Tom makes a great point. And Tom, by the way, lives an hour and a half from my favorite uh, uh, city in the UK, which is Chesham. So you're uh, you're very close to one of my well, you're an hour and a half from one of my favorite uh, cities in London. So good good on you, Tom. But. I, you know, every time that we talk about Russell Wilson, it's just like the dead cap space, the amount of trade capital that it's going to take to come the other way, um, what the Seahawks would need back in return, like all this stuff. And you're just thinking, like, why would they ever do it? Whereas the Texan situation is different, where, you know, you know that Deshaun Watson's not going to play. He hates it there. You know, he's willing to sit out. And he's willing to sacrifice. He's a big enough star where, you know, he probably made enough money in marketing where he can help negate some of the salary differential. You know, not that Russell Wilson hasn't, but uh, all these things. And you're just like, uh, the Seahawks trade of Russell Wilson just doesn't make any sense. Uh, You know, and they got a new offensive coordinator that would seem to work exactly the way that Russell Wilson wants him to. All this stuff. And you just wonder, like how deep we're going to get into this before everyone's just like, wait a minute, this this doesn't make any sense and it's not happening. Yeah, you wonder if it's the kind of thing that might have been sorted out behind closed doors in another time, i.e. like maybe five years ago, or especially <laughs> in another year. I mean, this has been the year where, okay, we see Brady be unhappy and, and, and go to Tampa Bay. And we see Deshaun Watson take a stand against the Texans, right? So it was an environment where maybe Wilson felt more comfortable saying something publicly, but it's different than any of those other situations, perhaps. I mean, it seems like there is a a way forward for Wilson and the Seahawks where, you know, Brady was done with New England and it doesn't seem like there's a way forward with Watson and the Texans given some of the things that have gone on. But You just wonder, yeah, like, would we have heard about it in a different year when this wasn't sort of the the, when quarterbacks weren't feeling so emboldened and when your peers are speaking out, I think there is a little bit greater comfort level. You're not the only one speaking up against your organization. Do you think like in general, and I know that it's always good for workers to speak up and, and be heard. Do you think in general, though, Russell Wilson's case is maybe has like less 
not less merit. Every every instance of unhappiness in the workplace deserves to be raised for sure. Um, but the way that Tom Brady's career ended in New England, there was like it was longer than most American marriages last. There were some deep seated issues there. You know, um, the the Deshaun Watson situation. There are some legitimate issues there. Do you think that Russell taking it as far as he has, it, like, does it? It just seems like some of the issues aren't on the same par as some of his contemporaries that are making these big charges to get out of where they are. I could be wrong, but it seems like when the situation has been laid out by the agent, by some of these anonymous stories, like, it, okay, you want to pass the ball more. Uh, okay. And you want like one or two offensive linemen. That seems like something we should be able to come to an agreement on. Well, I guess that's the question, right? Is he still feeling like it's repairable? And as you've mentioned, some of the issues that have surfaced and that have been laid out publicly do seem more repairable than the other situations. But do the people who are living in it, do the Seahawks and Russell see it that way? Or is are there other things that have been going on that maybe make it not uh, sustainable or salvageable? That's true. Good point. Um, okay, so let's go to the next question from our loyal listener, Crime Dog, who always has a good question. And this one is especially wild. Uh, so uh, I, I actually love this question. So I had to put it in here. <laughs> Just very fun to think about. Um, this is extremely hypothetical. But if the Saints decide to move on from Breeze, could you see the Patriots acquiring Drew Breeze, bringing back Cam Newton and using Cam Newton as a Taysom Hill type role? Highly unlikely, but wouldn't it be fun? Alternatively, do you think that Cam would be willing to take a Taysom Hill like role somewhere else? Thanks. Thank you, Crime Dog. Very interesting question from from Sea Dog over there. It's very creative. I like all of the. I don't know. I like all the different options here that Crime Dog has laid out. <laughs> I guess you never want to. I mean, in the NFL, there are crazy ideas that happen anywhere. I mean, it seems like the Patriots and Cam are ready to move on from each other. So I would be surprised if if Cam was back in New England in any way. But the idea of Cam going elsewhere, I mean, I think he still wants to be a starter but if that option is not available could he come in in packages I don't know the the Saints have sort of started this hill package thing and you know we saw the Eagles try to do something similar with Jalen Hurts of course that morphed into its own thing that was different from the hill situation in a lot of ways but uh I guess it's possible Connor it's uh it's an interesting question, but it does bring up a good point that, you know, we did touch on a little bit earlier and I think deserves fleshing out is that the Patriots still don't have a quarterback. And what I think is really interesting about this situation is I think it's going to tell us exactly what we need to know about Belichick moving forward, the Patriots moving forward, um, the way that players see the Patriots post Brady. I think we're going to learn a ton about all of those situations and if he ends up just you know if all the uh if all the chairs are are gone and it's just belichick and cam left on the dance floor i think that's going to be really telling if that ends up being the scenario which you said that doesn't seem unlikely it doesn't seem likely if jimmy garoppolo comes back i think that's super telling uh if Bill Belichick drafts somebody. I think that's super telling. And so I think it's going to be really interesting whatever way he goes to the point where, and again, I know that we've both said 
Bill Belichick is a great head coach, arguably the greatest head coach in NFL history. And so, you know, because Tom Brady wins a Super Bowl elsewhere, that doesn't mean that this was all Tom Brady's doing and none of Bill Belichick's doing. But do the players feel that way? Does the, does the sea change of opinion happen? Does Belichick lose his ability to get all these great veterans to come at the end of their career and play to win a championship because they know that they're being put in the right spot? I don't know. It's just an interesting situation. And I think that the Patriots quarterback situation in general is the one to watch this offseason. Yeah, I think you're right. It says a, a lot about the direction. And I think the move to get Cam last year made a lot of sense. They could get him at a reduced value. They were realizing that 2020 was going to be an off season for them. They probably had an indication at some that point that there would be some opt-outs. And so you roll the dice on Newton, see if it works out last year. And if it does, then you have your, you know, you can try that, or maybe you have your short-term answer for the next year. If not, you, you try something else. I think the Garoppolo thing is interesting because we know that he and Bill had a good relationship. Bill would continue to text him congratulations after each of his starts the year that he was traded. He went on that, what was it, 5-0 and run to end the season with the 49ers. And after every game, he would get a congratulatory text from Belichick. So you can see that they they built a relationship. And I remember I did a story at the time, and his mother was talking about the the bond between the two of them. And she said, Bill really, really liked Jimmy, not like they were warm and fuzzy, but they both knew it was there. So um, I think that's an intriguing possibility. But yeah, this is the year I think that we will judge the post Brady, begin to judge the post Brady era for New England. I think we've discussed this before, Connor, for a lot of reasons. Last year just kind of felt like a, a blip, not a representative sample. I think from what happens from here on out is really what's going to matter. I, um, it would be like one of those great, uh, maybe it's like Pam and Jim from the office or it, you know, some sort of like long teased love affair where Bill and Jimmy get back together. Like it's that couple that you've watched throughout like an entirety of a series and you want them to get together and they don't get together until the very end, you know, but, the, but you know that they were always meant to be together. I really like that idea. You know, I think that would leave me with the warm and fuzzies a little bit. I read a story recently. I think it was in USA Today about this high school couple and um, they got pregnant and the fathers met and it was, this was, I don't know, in a different time, you know, 50 years ago. And so the fathers agree that this, you know, the boy would no longer talk to the girl. She gave up the daughter for adoption. And then 51 years later, the daughter was looking for her birth parents, had a match for a relative on 23andMe, connected with the mom, connected with the dad. And then the parents got back together again, Connor. What? Yes. It was a really remarkable story because they had this like high school love story and they were ripped apart because their their parents said, no, what, you know, you're not having any contact. You're going your separate ways. They put the baby up for adoption. And uh, ultimately the baby brought them back together again, 51 years later. That's amazing. It was a, it was a great story. Way to so. stick it to the 50s parents too. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really like that. That's yeah. my favorite part of that story. Well, it's great. Maybe so a lot like, so, Bill you know, Belichick maybe something Garoppolo. like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. We have one last question from Paul Munro on Twitter who asks, Hey, Connor and Jenny, great podcast. Keep up the good work. Question. Why is Jerry Jones so reluctant to pay Dak Prescott? 
Does he truly believe that he isn't a top QB, or is this all about being seen to be winning the deal? Thanks. Great question, Paul. Uh, I've been there's probably been eight oracles now where I've said this is the week <laughs> that Dak Prescott is signing his freaking contract, and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, and at this point, I am out of ideas. I'm completely exhausted. Um, my thought process in the past was that Jerry Jones likes to capitalize on down periods in the NFL calendar, and he likes to own the news. He is not afraid to give out big contracts. Uh, going back to Troy Aikman, when Troy Aikman's agent, Lee Steinberg, said that you're going to need to pay him more than any other quarterback in NFL history, Jerry Jones told him to get out of his office, and then three days later, called him back and said, great, let's do it. Let's sell t-shirts. Let's sell helmets. Let's sell posters. That This is the biggest QB deal of all time. I'm very excited to do it. He's not reluctant to pay quarterbacks, but for some reason seems very reluctant to pay Dak Prescott. And this has gone on longer than any of the other scenarios, whether it was Troy Aikman, whether it was Tony Romo, whether it was any of these other guys that he's dealt with in the past. So I'm, I'm kind of out of ideas. I don't know why this hasn't gotten done. Uh, I, I think it's ridiculous that it's not. And Dak Prescott asking to sit right below Patrick Mahomes, I think is completely fair. You're not going to get, he's not going to get 10 years. He probably doesn't want 10 years, to be honest. He probably wants to come up again before his 30th birthday. Um, so I, I don't understand what the problem is. I think he's worth the money. He's probably one of the five or six best quarterbacks in the NFL, and you have to pay him like that. Yeah, and so now we have yet another year where there's the conversation of what the Cowboys will do with Prescott. Will they tag him before Tuesday's deadline? And then will they get a long-term, if they do that, will they get a long-term deal done before the draft? Will Then will they get a long-term deal done before the July tag deadline to get a, a deal done with uh, tagged players. I just used the word tag like eight times in one sentence, Connor, but <laughs> You're that's, it. that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's this strange situation where there is this young quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, who transcends all others, but that doesn't mean that other quarterbacks who are a tick or two below him can't be also paid well and can't demand whatever the market value is. And I think they're just dragging their feet on, on a decision that they should have made a long time ago. And now they're in a perpetually complicated situation and it really just should have been done two years ago and it wasn't. And now it's this cloud that's been hanging over the team. And in the meantime, the team hasn't gone anywhere. So what do you think? I mean, uh, it's just one of the more perplexing situations, I would say, across the NFL, Connor. If there is any iota of an idea that Dak Prescott is still a product of that offensive line and a diminished Ezekiel Elliott, I think somebody needs to go in there and, and shake some people mm -hmm. because Dak Prescott is good. He's independently good. Um, we as a football society have come far enough along where we have stats where we can isolate how good he is without Ezekiel Elliott or any of the running uh, or any of the offensive linemen. And uh, surprise, he's very good uh, and he doesn't need them. And, you know, I, I just don't understand especially after seeing what Washington got themselves into with Kirk Cousins mm -hmm. and all the hard feelings that come from that and all the complicated finances and the inevitability that you're going to lose him because once you can't tag him anymore, he's not going to want to come back there. He's not going to want to play for a franchise that didn't want him back. And so, I don't know. I think you're just setting yourselves up to, to really be heartbroken. And here's the thing about it. 
Dallas has gotten so lucky at the quarterback position over the years. Think about it. You stumble upon Tony Romo as an undrafted free agent. And then as Tony Romo is exiting his career, you want Paxton Lynch and you missed out on him. You missed out on Johnny Manziel. You wanted Connor Cook. And then you've settled for Dak Prescott. Settled for Dak Prescott. And he ends up being like the third best quarterback in the NFL. And you still don't pay him. And you're not going to win a Super Bowl with either of these two quarterbacks. Like that to me is mind blowing. You had two of the most advantageous quarterback situations in modern NFL history. You had an undrafted free agent who turned out to be a star and a fourth round pick who turned out to be a star. And you did nothing with all of that, like all that capital that you had built and all that opportunity to build around these cheap guys. And you blew it. And it just, it really blows my mind. It's that it's insane to me that that's going to happen. And they really, this goes back, I still think, to that 2019 offseason. They prioritized a deal with Ezekiel Elliott instead of Prescott. They should have gotten Prescott done. So that mistake, I think, has lingered in the two years since, year and a half since. Totally, totally agree. Um, Okay, so we have the Oracle and, again, a very fun Frentis Consensus coming up, which I want to reserve some time for because this this stuff gets me fired up. Um, for my Oracle today, though, I have uh, a free agency prediction, uh, and so it'll be good for Shelby to put this on the bad list once it inevitably doesn't happen, but... Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to predict one of the bigger names that is changing teams in free agency, but uh, this is via trade. This is not going to be um, in free agency. So I think that Zach Ertz of the Philadelphia Eagles either ends up in Indianapolis with Frank Reich alongside Carson Wentz or in Buffalo with Josh Allen, and I think both of those teams are going to be fighting over his uh, services this offseason. I think we're going to see some some Zach Ertz movement this offseason, and that's where he's, he's going to end up on one of those two teams, I bet. Those are two perfect destinations and be a great opportunity to play for either. I like the idea of, you know, maybe building this faux dream team in Indianapolis around Reich and maybe Reich getting back because the Eagles are going to do this fire sale deal right mm-hmm. they're going to try to they're going to try to um, to gut some of this roster they're going to try to refresh and maybe Reich being able to bring in all the players that he coached and did a really good job working with um, in Philadelphia and sort of creating this best case scenario for a lot of them I really like that idea and I also really like the idea of pairing Josh Allen with a, a super good tight end who can catch the ball and you know is a, is really friendly for for quarterbacks like that. So I, I think both of those would be uh, would be really good. Yeah, and I think Ertz has kind of been a part of the the frustrations that have been sowed in the Eagles locker room over the last few years, and that have kind of contributed to the team really you know uh, deviating from that Super Bowl season. I think the way things were handled with Ertz. Um, sure you know Wentz clearly has had issues with the organization um and I think a lot of that has kind of contributed to why things broke apart so quickly in Philly after the Super Bowl championship did you catch Carson Wentz's house by the way on the market I didn't I I saw you you tweeted about it I, I did not have a chance to look palatial uh just a just a great a great buy but I will say uh as a fellow New Jersey resident uh Carson Wentz must have gotten a, a deal. I mean, his taxes were fairly reasonable for 
a $1.7 million home uh, in a desirable part of New Jersey with uh, uh, an editor emeritus, Mark Mravick, uh, as he noted to me, uh, a fridge in the bathroom, which feels like the height of luxury. No, wow. it doesn't get it doesn't get much better than that, you know. Well, he lived in a remote area of New Jersey, right? Like a rural mm-hmm. area, so maybe that would be why the taxes are lower. Or? True. Yeah, I would say it was remote in the way that, like, remote in the way that, uh, like a like a faraway kingdom is remote. Like there's <laughs> night. You know what I mean? Like the, it's it's remote. Like um, like but only like nice people know about it. You know what I'm saying? Does, I hear. Does yeah. that make sense? Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, but yeah. Uh, uh, good for good for him. It was a great house. Uh, if anyone's interested in not really being my neighbor, we would live about three and a half hours apart from each other. But if anyone's interested in checking it out, I'd be happy to take my real estate exam and walk you through it and uh, get a piece of that commission. So yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Zach Gertz to the Colts or the Bills. That's my prediction. Now on to the Ventus consensus because that is the best part of the show, and I am super super psyched about this consensus. Yeah, well, just wanted to focus today on the Ravens have put forth two proposals. They're each related to each other, different versions of this so-called spot and choose format for overtime. And I, the consensus, Connor, is this is really a good idea and should be considered. I think it's really interesting. At first, you think, whoa, this sounds weird, but it's actually not that weird. It's it's basically just a small tweak to how overtime begins, and then everything from there is the same. So their idea is that the team that gets the ball first has a big advantage, and they're trying to figure out a way to correct that advantage because even if both teams get the ball, you know, you have the first possession, but then you have the third possession before the fourth possession and so on. So they've come up with a way where each team has a choice to make at the outset of overtime so that it's not just dependent on the flip of a coin. One team chooses a spot and one team chooses if they play offense or defense. And I think it's it's really smart because they've done the, the analytics and the research on this. Since 2017, teams that receive the ball have a 58 to 40 advantage in the playoffs since 2010 when modified sudden death was first introduced for the postseason receiving teams are nine and one so clearly there's an advantage and they've come up with this way where each team gets to make a choice and have a active role essentially in your overtime strategy and the idea would be as a result of the coin toss, one team spots the ball, including the orientation, which way you would move, the ball would move on the field. They spot the ball anywhere, and then the other team decides if they want to play offense or defense from that spot. And they've proposed two versions of this rule. One is a sudden death overtime, and one is a timed overtime. I really like the sudden death idea, Connor, because I think you essentially make sudden death feasible when you give both teams a hand in choosing the strategy of overtime, right? And sudden death is preferable for a lot of reasons. Number one, player safety. And you make, you know, the game can potentially end sooner. The biggest limitation right now in, in the modern uh, modified sudden death, they, you know, you the idea is to modify it so that it's a little bit more fair, but then it can make those games last longer. Players play more snaps, higher injury risk, less recovery time, etc. So, and then I guess the, you know, as they've laid out as well, 
where do you put the ball? It's an interesting question. Right now, the team that starts would get the ball at the minus 25. And I, I think in this situation, you figure teams would be probably putting it at the minus 10, minus 15, somewhere in that range. Because then there really is a question for the other team if they want to play on offense or defense. If you choose offense, you have a really long uh, drive. Uh, but of course, then you also get the ball first. So I think it's a, a really smart proposal. And while it may sound like, whoa, this is totally different. What a departure. You're making it gimmicky. It's actually not really that gimmicky at all. It's just introducing a slightly different strategy at the beginning of the period. And then the game proceeds as normal. What do you think, I love Connor? It. I love 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 anything that forces these coaches to sort of put their uh, to show that there is an understanding of an acceptance of the numbers, right? There's going to be some great studies done by all these teams independently on exactly which yard line to put the ball on, you know, there's good. And, and again, you make a great point about health and safety. You're eliminating a kickoff, which is one of the most dangerous things in the game. If it's returned, um, you're eliminating the fact that these guys could have to beat themselves up for, you know, 10 more minutes or additional uh, 10 more minutes when they don't have to. I think all that stuff is, great and in addition to that i i think that there needs to be more gamesmanship like i think the game is too dumbed down to some degree right i mean we didn't um the league totally eschewed the proposal for um instead of the onside kick um you could take the ball on fourth and 15 from your own 20 yard line or whatever and i think that part of the deal there is that maybe there's a there's a fear that the fans won't understand it that the fans won't like it because it's too different i think we need to give the fan base some credit i think there's a legitimate hunger for some of these sensible and legitimate rule changes i think that most of the viewing public is so in line with uh, the analytical decision-making that's been happening, a lot of the sort of progressions that have been made from a lot of the front offices in a lot of these different areas. And I think that this is the next step in all that is recognizing that, hey, we can make it safer. We can make it more interesting. But who's not going to want to do it? It's the coaches that probably won't want to put the work in. They won't want to do something different than they've had to do in the past. They won't want to have to lean on a different department in their building that they haven't been used to leaning on before. All that stuff. But I love it. I love that idea. And I love that these teams keep putting out these proposals that are going to challenge, um, you know, coaches to make these big decisions. And not only in football, too, in baseball. Remember last year, there was a team that put forward a proposal that the team with the number one seed in each um, uh, division in the playoffs would have to choose their first round opponent. And that's another one of those things. I love that. I love that idea of putting the ball in the coaches and the team's court and forcing you to make a big boy, big girl decision right before, um, you know, in, in the biggest spot. I, I love everything about it. Yeah, I think it addresses a lot of the issues that are currently in the NFL's overtime format in that the coin toss carries a lot of weight. Uh, now you have a starting, you know, a starting field position that the, assuming that most teams will, will choose to put it between the 10 or the 15 yard line, it, it evens things out a little bit. It also values both offense and defense. So I think 
there's a lot of ways that this makes sense. And the third rules proposal they put forth is something that we have long been in favor of, Connor, is, is the booth umpire. Um, yes. And, you know, I, the Ravens have also long been in favor of this rule. And I'm still confused why it hasn't gotten done. But I, I love one of the, the rebuttal points that they make is the one that we've heard a lot from the NFL is like, hey, how are we going to get 17 qualified good booth umpires and the point is these people who are up in the booth there's a lot of options there could be retired officials who don't want to be on the field anymore um there could be people who are coming up through the college game and because they have the added benefit of technology to supplement their their knowledge base all of those are good options and the other argument too is by putting the booth umpire up there you essentially make all of the other positions on the field better. So better field judges, side judges, referees, etc. So I really like that rebuttal, I think, to the NFL's major, main counter argument for not moving forward with the booth umpire. And here's the other thing that I would counter with the NFL when they're saying we're not out, uh, we're out of, you know, qualified candidates for the job. Um, Maya Shaka was just introduced as the first uh, black female official, second female official in the NFL. Uh, You know, let's let's get this pipeline going a little bit, too. And I, I think that it's not it's not for it's not like there's not a dozen, two dozen, three dozen more qualified female officials that are working in the lower ranks that haven't gotten the visibility and the chance to move up here. I mean, let's put some real work into this. You know, we have countless numbers of people identifying scout, you know, players, you know, scouts and all that stuff. And the league is such a monolith. Like, why aren't we putting as much work into looking far and wide for officials? Because my guess is there's another Maya out there. There's another Sarah Thomas out there somewhere. And, you know, can you get 16 more people that can fill these positions or that can get on the field so you can bump somebody else up on the booth that to me seems like it's it, it, it can't be that hard it, it cannot be as hard as they're making it seem to be absolutely connor i think that's really well said so the takeaway from the ravens proposals are one take the layup introduce the booth umpire and then the other one is Don't be stodgy, NFL. Be creative. Be open to rule changes. It can make the game a lot more fun. Couldn't it, like, I was so ready to fall in, like, remember last year there was the reports that um, that people were actually, like, the 4th and 15 thing was maybe going to happen. Like, there, there was some buzz that it was actually going down. And I just, I really, I you know, I really allowed myself to fall back in love with the NFL again, like harder than ever. And I was like, God, this is going to be great. And I got all excited about it. And I had all these posts ready. Um, and then they just, they just banged it, you know? And, and then, and then all these insider types are like, it was never really going to happen. Well, some of you reported it was and got me all excited about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, so I'm not, I'm not getting excited about this. I'm not going to let myself get all fired up about it. But man, like the Ravens just always have good ideas. They have cool people working there. And I think that maybe uh, a few of them should just get hired by the league and make the league cooler because they have a lot of good ideas. That's yeah, kind of, that's I, I think point. the willingness to listen to different perspectives and to be open to considering ideas, regardless of where they come from, is really an important thing. And that seems to be at the root of, of both of these ideas. So... Yeah, I, uh, I'm with you, Connor. I think it's probably unlikely given the fact that our dreams have been crushed in the past, but <laughs> maybe they should be like Connor Orr, seeking out some new inspiration to shake things up. 
buy yeah. a book on ancient Rome. Ancient Rome. So <laughs> my my latest. Um, do you want to hear my latest ordering? Uh, it was I. I really I hit am uh, well. I and I know this is bad, but Amazon has the connection with uh, Goodwill Books, and so and and we use Smile Amazon. So I know I know I should be shopping directly from small bookstores. Is the acknowledgement there? Um, but I did Amazon some books, um, and uh, uh, you know among them were uh, the one on ancient Rome, and also one on uh, the history of America before Columbus got there. Um, and apparently uh, a bustling and densely populated place, contrary to, and uh, one of like high science and technology, contrary to popular belief. So I'm, I'm pretty fired up about that. Wow, that seems like a pretty exciting, yeah, set of purchases, Connor. So the, um, the interest in the Rome book, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, was uh, last week we got uh, a letter from John Ashmore, who is a uh, listener of the show um, and wrote in to make a great point. So this was about two weeks ago, I think, that I had mentioned something about um, sports being the last great meritocracy. At least that's how it, it started in my mind. And, you know, I met, referenced ancient Rome and the gladiators and the Colosseums. John says, hey, Connor. Uh, you need to brush up on your ancient Roman history. That is not true at all. Uh, so his quote was just, just wanted to let you know your take about gladiator fights and how it relates to meritocracy was off. Um, gladiators were, it, they were forced labor of uh, people from conquered regions and the fans were Roman citizens who benefited from the conquering and the warfare. So this was not a meritocracy. This was a kind of a brutal gladiator sport. So it wasn't at all what I depicted it for uh, of. So John, thank you for, um, thank you for reaching out and I will let you know what I think because uh, the goal here is to, uh, to get better and to be a, uh, be a Roman expert by the time this thing is over. You know, I have yeah. to say, I have to have one good thing to come out of the pandemic and say, I learned a little something about Rome. So I had a year, you know, I like it. And just while we're on the topic of Amazon, very much support the workers trying to unionize. However, as I have read over the last day, they have not called for a boycott of Amazon. That is something they could do, but in this case, they have not chosen to call for a boycott. They are simply trying to win a union election, Connor. So you can continue to order. I, I ordered a cup with a straw to help me, force me to drink water during the day. Did you, so I I had to buy uh, several of these for an acquaintance during Christmas, um, these exact things, right? And there's ones with motivational messages on the hour markers. Did you go that far? No, or I, did didn't, you, okay. I didn't go that route. I just got one that will insulate the water and has a straw so I can force myself into like, oh, this is a fun new activity. <laughs> but no, I didn't go for the large jug. This gotcha. was like a 20 ounce one. Well, there's still time. You know, there's still time. That's true. Yeah. I can always go that route if I choose. But uh. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you guys for writing in so much. And if you ever have a question, we're certainly going to, you know, it's going to pick up these next few weeks of free agency. And so we'll have a lot of that covered in the upcoming podcast. But we will always be looking for great questions for Mailbag episodes. And please hit us up at weeksidepod at gmail.com. Um, many of you have uh, replied to some of our tweets seeking uh, questions. Um, I've gotten great, uh, I've had great conversations via direct message too on Twitter. And, you know, my direct messages are open feel free to leave a question there um and we can always throw it on the show that way if you're more comfortable um over there and uh yeah thank you all for for making this uh, another really fun episode 
The Weak Side Podcast is me, Jenny Vrentis, and Connor Orr. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody. Mark Moravik is the Emeritus Executive Director of the MMQB. Our theme music was written and composed by singer-songwriter Ryan Harris-Brown, whose latest album, Stranded in the Present Tense, is available now on all major streaming services. Keep up with the Weekside Podcast by subscribing to our new feed on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Radio.com, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts.